Good morning, church. And Happy New Year, right? Tomorrow? Welcome to all who are here and those listening online. This is the last day of 2023. Interestingly enough, to me anyway, I also had the privilege of preaching on the first day of 2023. Back then, this, the message was taken from Joshua, the first chapter, and we, the title was Standing on the Banks of Tomorrow. It was a picture of Joshua and, by extension, the people of Israel looking into the new territory and trying to imagine what lay ahead. Well, here we are on the last day of 2023, and I wonder, how has this new territory been for you? Now, some would say, well, it hasn't been good at all. It's been a bad year. It's been a really rough year. Maybe a loved one passed away. A job was lost. A diagnosis came about that, that was unexpected, an accident of some sort. Or maybe it's been really a terrific year. Maybe a marriage, a child was born, a promotion, um, a new house or car or whatever. Maybe you had a really good year, but I'm guessing probably for most of us, we've been somewhere in between. Some good, some bad. But regardless of how your year has been, my guess is you've had to involve perseverance in what you did. The things that you faced, the challenges that stood before you, perseverance. And that's what we're going to talk about today is the matter of perseverance. And for that, I invite you to turn to the 12th chapter of Hebrews, and we're going to look at the first 17 verses. Now, while you're looking up Hebrews 12 in your Bible or in your, on your device, I looked up a couple of quotes on perseverance, one of them from Winston Churchill. Who said, if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> he also was the one who said, never, never, never give in. But my favorite quote was the great English preacher Charles Spurgeon, who said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Chapter 12 of Hebrews, beginning with verse 1. First word of verse 1, therefore. Now, do you remember the last time I had the privilege of standing before you? I think it was chapter 4 of Hebrews, and the first word of the first verse in that chapter was, therefore. And we reminded ourselves that a question that we need to ask whenever we see that word is, why is that therefore there for? So, why is the first word of the first verse of chapter 12 there for? Well, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jared preached chapter 11. The hall of faith, it's often called. Because it's full of the great heroes 
and heroines of the faith. Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and others who sacrificed and invested so much in serving the Lord. Chapter 11 is a chapter full of reminders of those great heroes of the faith who in many instances gave their life, literally, were executed for their faith. Well, therefore, is there to remind us of what chapter 11 was about and as we think about chapter 11, we're ready to go into chapter 12 and see some of the implications of that chapter that preceded it. By faith, the heroes of the faith persevered amidst danger, difficulty, and death. Now, continuing with verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There it is. Since we're surrounded by all of these who lo whose life stands as a witness to the life of faith, to the power and the faithfulness of God, because we're surrounded by all of these who went before us, we've got to move forward with perseverance. We've got to take their example and apply it to our own lives. I like what one commentator said of these witnesses. They appear like an overhanging cloud of witnesses for God. We are witnessing the example of other believers and others are witnessing our example. It isn't just about paying attention to those who've gone before us, to the ones mentioned in chapter 11, or even those serving faithfully today. Realize, consider the fact, people are looking at us for our witness too. There's people perhaps in your family or in your workplace or in your school or neighbors who are looking at our witness too. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. Let us get rid of whatever in our life does not belong there that's keeping us from being the godly, faithful servant that we need to be. I wonder, as we stand at the end of a year and prepare for a new year, if there is something in your life that doesn't belong there. Maybe you've been dealing with it some time. Maybe you've been trying to excuse it and explain it and blame it on someone else, or maybe you've given up on even dealing with what it is. But this verse says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Sometimes we get to the point where we think, I, I've tried, I, 
I identify, I know, I'm aware of the things in my life that are keeping me from being the godly person I ought to be, but I've tried dealing with it and, and I can't do it. Let me remind you of a couple of things I've shared before. One is, God's not the author of confusion, but clarity. If you really want to know what God wants you to do, if you really want to overcome the things that you've been dealing with that you've just about given up on, if you really want to move forward in 2024 for a new life of service and ministry for Christ, remember, God's not the author of confusion. He's the author of clarity. He will show you how to do it. He will open the doors. He will send people and opportunities into your life. He will make it possible. And then another thing I've shared in recent times, and that is if you want to know God's will for your life tomorrow, make sure you're in the center of God's will for your life today. And each and every today that you're in the center of God's will for your life, if there comes a time for an, an adjustment or a change, he will show you. God's not the author of confusion, but clarity, if you want to know. If you want to know God's will for your life tomorrow, make sure you're in the center of God's will for your life today, each and every today, and he'll show you. Verses 2 and 3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured, light, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let us focus, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. It comes down to this. If we want to live the life in 2024 that God wants us to live, Scripture here is advising us to do three things. Number one, look at others, that is, the example of others, the witness of others, the cloud of, of ministry talked about in chapter 11. For that matter, and people that we look at right now and look around and say, I want to have the life they have. I want to set the example they live. I want to stand for Christ like they do. Look at others. The examples of others from Scripture, from our own lives. Look at ourselves. Examine ourselves. What needs to be changed? What needs to be improved? What needs to be adjusted? And finally, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Verse 4 gives us some perspective. We sometimes think, well, but my life, you don't know my life. My life is difficult, and, and I've got all kinds of challenges, and, and nobody in my family is a believer, and, and my workplace is, is, is horrific. And I'm, You can come up with all kinds of things to say, but verse 4 gives us some perspective. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. There's an organization by the name of Open Doors. It's an international organization that supports persecuted believers. They estimate that in our world right now, there are some 360 million 
persecuted believers. 360 million, whom this organization says are severely persecuted in our world today. You think you've got it tough in your life? Verse 4 gives us some perspective. In your struggle, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Verses 5 through 11. I want you to notice a word in these verses that appears time and again. It's the word discipline in some of the translations. In some of the translations, it's called chastened. But this word appears time and again. And it's the same Greek word, time and time again. So let me read through this passage and then we'll talk about this word discipline. Verse 6, excuse me, verse 5. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have, had, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Max Lucado says when you look at this word discipline, don't think punishment, think training. Because that's what the word means, quite literally. It means training. In fact, the Greeks used the word often with the training of their children, of their young people. Sometimes we get the wrong idea about God, that he's trying to make our lives miserable. God's trying to train us to be better, to do better, to be more faithful. Discipline. Time and again, that word is mentioned. In verse 11, it comes out and says, but sometimes that discipline is painful. Has anybody here ever experienced God's discipline to the point that it was painful? We all just raised our hands, didn't we? But it's not painful to be punishing and hard on us and, and vent his wrath against us. We're his children. And because of that, he loves us to, enough to say no. Sometimes that's one of the toughest things we do as parents, isn't it? To discipline our children enough to say no. We'd love to give them whatever they want and whatever they ask for, and especially when they're so young and so cute 
And they put on that face, that smile, or those weepy puppy dog eyes, and we just can't help. But ultimately, a loving parent loves their child enough to say no. Or sometimes, yes, yes, go ahead. You don't want to do it. You're afraid to do it, but go ahead. That's how God is with us. I like Scripture also talks about about this, about the training process. And it talks about how Scripture trains us. 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verse 16. I took this from the message, which is a paraphrase of Scripture, but I just like the way it said it. The message for 2 Timothy 3.16 says, Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. One of the important reasons to be in God's word, not just on Sunday morning, but daily, is to learn what God's saying to us, what he's trying to teach us, what he's trying to direct us toward. A lot of the will of God comes from the word of God, And we need to be in it regularly. Four ways a person can respond to the Lord's discipline. One is accept it with resignation. (sighs) Okay, God, you've coerced me into it. I guess I'll do it. Or I won't do it. I'll stop doing it. Accept it with resignation. I'm not sure God makes much progress with us when we have that attitude. A second way is to accept it with self-pity, thinking we don't deserve it. That's not fair. I'm as good of a Christian as, as that person or the other person, and yet look what I'm going through. That's not fair. It... Third way is to get angry and resentful toward God. All right, God, if that's the way you're going to be, I'm going to stop going to church. I'll show you. I'll stop reading my Bible. Which if they're probably there in their attitude haven't been reading their Bible much anyway. Or the fourth way we can deal with God's discipline is accept it and work on what needs to be addressed in our lives. Which might make for some good New Year's resolutions if God has shown us some things that we need to work on. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Well, what is that all about? Therefore, Based on everything that's been said, there's our word therefore again. Based on everything that's been said to this point in the passage, verses 12 and 13, therefore, get on with it. Get up and get on with it. Get rid of the the excuses, get rid of the explanation, get get rid of the whining, get rid of whatever has been holding you up from serving the Lord faithfully, get up and get on with it. 
in the high school I went to, the coaches for the various sports also had to teach a gym class. And I had a gym class one year that was, co that was led by our football coach. Now, he was a great football coach. He had been in uh, a uh, small college, All-American. He wasn't a big fella. He was about my height and probably weighed 160 pounds. But he had that gravelly, gruff demeanor about him. And he was tough. In fact, I didn't play football, but our football team won 71 games in a row at one point. He was a great football coach. But if you had him for gym class, guess what you did in gym class? You played football. Now, it wasn't tackle football. It was touch football. But as those of you who've played touch know, it can get pretty rough out there. Guy can come up with a, with a forearm and, and catch you or, or whatever. And one day I was out there playing, and, and some guy did exactly that, put a forearm right in my face, and I started bleeding. And I mean, it was coming out. And I ran over to the side and I said, Coach, I got to get out. I'm bleeding. He did not even look at me, but he said, Harding, get back in there. It'll stop. <laughs> so verses 12 and 13 are saying, Get back in there. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Get up and get on with it. The things maybe we've been using during 2023, maybe for years to keep us from being who and what God wants us to be, get rid of it. Get rid of the excuses. Get rid of the explanation. Get rid of the whining and get on with what God wants you to do. If you say, well, I'm not sure, well, go back to those quotes we gave. God's not the author of confusion, but clarity. He'll show you if you really want to know. Verses 14 through 17. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. And afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. This is talking about people who miss out on what the Lord has for us. Maybe they're religious or not, but they're missing the relationship with God, the eternal relationship, the relationship of faith. There's all the difference in the world between religion and relationship. Religion is about doing whatever we think needs to be done or some church tells us needs to be done in order to be worthy of God. That's a religion. But a relationship is what God wants with us. For God so loved the world. That's about relationship. Holiness is mentioned here. Missing out on holiness. Holiness means to be set apart. If I haven't placed my faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I haven't been set apart as a child of God. 
Sometimes you hear people say, we're all God's children. That's not scriptural. We're all God's creation. But God's children are those who've trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior and have been set apart, have become holy unto God through our faith in Christ Jesus. Some miss the grace of God. The grace of God is a gift. That's what the word grace means, is a gift. Those who miss the grace of God have not accepted, have rejected the gift of God. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and offers us a gift of eternal life. But if we reject it, if we do not accept Christ as our Savior, we've missed the gift. We've missed the grace. A bitter root. I think that's where a lot of people are. A bitter root toward God. And that bitter root stems from misunderstanding, I think, what's going on in their life and in, their, in this world. They look at all the, the things and they say things like, well, if God was a loving God, or there wouldn't be all of these wars and hatred and crime and, and, and disease and famine. And, there wouldn't be all that if they're, they're blaming the wrong person. God created a perfect world, a paradise. But man chose sin, and that separated him from God. And once sin entered the world, then all of the brokenness and destruction and disease and hatred and war and everything else you can mention that is terrible about our world began. But not because of God. Praise God. He's here to see us who believe in him and trust him and follow him and live, him, live for him. He's here to see us through those things, but he doesn't cause those things the evil of the world is caused by the God of this world who is Satan. But a lot of people misunderstand that. And they have a bitter root toward God because they blame God for that loved one who was taken or that disease that was diagnosed or that war that's ongoing. They, believe God, they blame God for that, but that's Satan. God is here to see us through. Those who have a bitter root are blaming the wrong person for the pain and destruction in their lives. Sexually immoral. The Greek word here is pornos. It's not hard to figure out where that word goes to in the English. Or finally, or is godless. Those who are missing out on the relationship with God have not been set apart to God. They've missed out on God's gift. They have a root of bitterness, sexually immortal, and they are godless. Like Esau. The example here is given of Esau. Here again, I took the paraphrase of the message for verse 16, and it says, watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. I think that nails it right on the head of where a lot of people in our world are today, particularly in our society. Watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. Band, you can come up. I get it. I get it. Life can be tough. Life is tough. And for some more than others, in fact, if we started just having 
a popcorn standing up and sharing about your life in 2023 or maybe over the past several years, there would be some stories right here in this room right now that would break our hearts. Life can be tough. This passage is about persevering when life's load becomes unbearable. I've got three, years, three New Year's resolutions to suggest if you're one to do such a thing or don't call it a resolution. Just three things we need to do as we prepare for 2024. One is taken from Galatians 6.2. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That's why the Lord put churches together so we would know one another and, and work with one another and be able to support one another and lift up one another. That's one of the biggest things we can do to help one another as we seek to persevere is to bear one another's burdens. Become aware of what's going on in the lives of others and be there for them and with them. A second suggestion, and that is learn and live by the Lord's promises. That's another real good reason to be in God's Word daily. To know God's promises. What are they? What has He promised us? And then rely on those promises when we face those difficult and challenging times in the year ahead. What has God said to us by way of promise? And then stake your life on it. I guarantee you, He'll come through for you. If you'll do that, bear one another's burdens, learn and live by the Lord's promises. And third, be a person of prayer. Be a person of prayer. Not just a quickie before you eat supper, not just a now I lay me down to sleep, but a, become a person of prayer. Because that's where we talk to the living God and He talks to us. Paul wrote these words in Romans 5, 3 through 5. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us.